David Letterman was just like, this fucking guy, <laughs> this fucking piece of shit. And Borat's up there talking about his parents, like yeah. the son of somebody, the rapist. And it's like, <laughs> it's just saying it's on like live American television. <laughs> Nobody's saying a fucking thing. Yeah. For some reason, I, I don't understand why David Letterman wouldn't be like, what the fuck did you just say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are we fully live? Done. I just Video's typed in up. the final, final launch codes. Oh, oh so the rocket up. we got the rock, an hour The live rocket's been sent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the rocket's land. Sick. Welcome to Amber Live at 5. It is Thursday. Rest yeah. day. Thursday rest day. Chill day today, to be honest. Yeah. No <laughs> for, one, no for one everyone really except, office. For everyone except Nathan, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As usual. Yeah. Yeah. A big day. Two out of three. I basically took the day off, to be honest. I woke up this morning and I knew I had no clients and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Back yeah, to bed, I go. Nothing to do. It's the beauty of it. Yeah. I read came. a book. I, it's the first time I finished a book in months. Which, I, a book? Yeah. A book? Compared to like most of the reading I do online mm. and it's all work-related. And today it was like, no, nope, I'm going to read something completely off. different. Send your balcony into it? No, I didn't. It was uh, cold out yeah, there. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I came in and uh, that file was fucked. So I cracked the shits at it and went home, <laughs> and I had to drop Jordan off at the airport anyway. Yeah, true. But then I managed to get some stuff done with what I had anyway. And true. Then I came in here. Yeah. So well, here I, I mean, Thursday seems to be our lowest tempo day anyway. Well, even on a day where we'd be doing a lot, we're just at our computers doing a lot anyway. Or yeah. you've, or you might have someone that comes in. But. Yeah. Yeah, usually there's only one client that comes in Thursdays. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, apart from that, admin, paperwork, mm. chill. Live at five. Live at five. Watch yeah. YouTube. Watch YouTube. <laughs> but in saying that, YouTube is an educational resource and we usually alternate between... I was going to say it's Watching like, people play video games. Yeah, to watching... <laughs> and something educational. Yeah. So we like... It's like one for one. We have a ratio. Yeah. Biohacker, we might have a new um, top fan if Dusty oh. doesn't get on soon. Yeah, he's yeah. getting slack. Um, yeah, I mean, and I guess while we're on that point, if you are looking at like trying to learn something new and you don't like reading books out of a uh, out of a hardback, old-fashioned piece of paper, <laughs> which is pretty normal these days, um, you can use things like YouTube, Spotify has heaps of podcasts. I'm um, a big um, audiobooks. <laughs> audiobook. Except and now the two audiobooks I'm listening to, I can't listen to them before bed now because I'm up to points where I need to actually do some of the things they're saying true. in my business or or write something down. I am um, so I need to I need to get another like a a story audiobook. What true. do you call it? Brooke, like a fictional one or something. Fictional. Brooke was like, I gave you that book. And I was like, oh, was that what that uh, slab of paper was? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a tree at one point. Yeah. Like, yeah. You just murdered an innocent tree for that thing. <laughs> Nobody can even eat it or anything. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what, and what I like to do is literally like what we were saying before, alternate between one and the other. You know, even mm. when I'm reading actual real life paper books, I alternate between something educational and non-fiction. Yeah, I do that. And something fiction. So you like something fiction, something fictional, educational, or just generally insightful. And then, yeah, yeah I'll do another, have like a break and go back and read a yeah. fictional book. Yeah, and then with the YouTube video, I mean, it's all fairly digestible content. I mean, we release stuff that goes for an hour. All our podcasts are about an hour. All the live files, obviously, an hour. Um, and... Even that's pretty long as far as educational content online goes. Like a lot of YouTube videos out there are, you know, 20 minutes approximately, maybe yeah. 10 minutes well, long. Um, 
Um, they, you're not going to learn everything well, interestingly, in 10 minutes. In my um, physio subjects, the unit head of the like the subject guy leading the subject um, has released all the lectures in like shorter blocks, like no more than 15 minutes. Yeah. And he was, and he said, because I think he got some couriers and he put it like an announcement online. Yeah. It's like the reason I did that is because latest research shows that people tend to like stop yeah. paying attention after about 15 yeah. minutes. Yeah. And I mean, this is, um, and that's why these live at fives are fairly informal. They're here for the engagement. They're there for you guys to jump on, have a chat, um, talk some shit, maybe have a laugh or whatever. Um, but the point of us being here from five to six every day is to hopefully answer any questions you guys might have of us. Or if you you know saw something that we posted online and you're like, nah, that's fucking bullshit. I want to know why you do it that way. Or you just want to know more. Like tonight, we are literally going to answer a question that was asked of us on Tuesday. Um, and I will get around to that eventually. Um, but wow. Yeah, but um, that's, I mean, that's one of the, and this is where I found I've learned a lot, a lot more than I um, probably did when I was in school trying to sit in like classes for 45 minutes to an hour, maybe 90 minutes or whatever, um, is you watch a 20-minute YouTube video and you go, oh, yeah, sick, I know a little bit more about that topic now. And then you go and watch something completely whatever, you know, whether it's somebody playing video games or sometimes I watch like random history videos oh, like about fun, people yeah. explaining history or you know whatever it might be that's 20 minutes long so it's not really that big of a chunk out of my day and then i go watch another education and it all adds up you know over time i've watched fucking like you know i might get 20 training videos in one day but i'm not feeling like i'm just swamped with this information because i'm going back and forth between stuff that i'm learning from and stuff that is just sort of a time out for my brain mm. So today I, I had to replace my lunchtime Doctor Who episode with um, <laughs> a YouTube video I'm trying to get finished. <laughs> educational YouTube video. Yeah. Um, and people respond to different things, you know. Some people respond to, you know, larger chunks of information. There might be people that are doing your uni course that watch like four of those fucking episodes in a row. Yeah. You know? And you kind of like, because I found it quite good because I would watch one and if I spend really spend the time, I can make that last 45 minutes, like a 15-minute thing, last 45 minutes just getting all the yeah. information that's in yeah. there. Um, I thought you meant like stopping every two minutes <laughs> and just going, going oh, to smack or something. Yeah, it's no. It's too much for me. No, I mean like I'm stopping it to like write things down. And yeah. I'm not just stopping it to go, too much. No, but then after that, it's like a good, okay, I finish the video. Have a get up and walk to the yeah. kitchen or something, get some water and then sit back down again. Um, but like I said, there are many cancerous fitness channels on YouTube that provide misinformation. Oh, yeah. I yeah. tend to stick to some... I'm very strict about the information that I consume. Um, Generally, there's, there's a... And we try not to be one of those. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. We're trying not... We're trying exactly to be the exact opposite of what those people are. You know, we're trying to give people the best possible, possible information we know how to give them without telling them, you know, their fucking this the secret that they've always been missing out on because there is no secret there's no yeah. secret to success except for you know hard work and and lots of rest lots of recovery yeah i i will stand by this general rule i follow for <laughs> avoiding bullshit youtube channels is if their um thumbnail is a, like a shirtless dude with abs <laughs> um then you can generally know it's just going to be the same old fucking dumb bullshit yeah i think and i think that's fair um, I think nowadays, though, 
you know, it's it's a matter of what works and what doesn't. What's getting viewers and what isn't. Oh well, again, know? like that's change. That's like basically changing the marketing because that's yeah. how they that's how they get views and, and get like, clicks because that's what it's about. Yeah, yeah. we know that for us to get attention on our page, we do sometimes have, like we do with the live fires. We put some clickbait title up there, hopefully get someone to tune in. And then by the time they tune in, they go, oh, this isn't just total crap. You yeah. know, it's, it's not- interesting hearing YouTubers talk about it. They say if they don't use a clickbaity title or thumbnail, yeah. they are guaranteed basically to have less in- engagement yeah. with their videos. Yeah. So and I, they have to do it. I mean, marketing science says this is what people respond to. You know, they respond to flashy things. They respond to lots of color. They respond to you know, maybe outrageous statements that they either completely agree with or completely disagree with, you know, and only after they've bought into whatever you put on your fucking thumbnail do you get the opportunity to provide some kind of education. You know, if people aren't clicking on the link, Mm. I mean, we might as well be sitting here talking absolute shit. Andrew Robbins said, Athlean X is the only one to watch. I don't know if that's a joke or... Athlean X is... Oh, that's actually a really good Not the only one, but... (laughs) Does provide some good information. Athlean. It sounds like a six-week get skinny program. <laughs> it does something. a little bit. Yeah, but he so that guy who runs Athlean X um, is an ex baseball coach okay. and had and sort of built a system around training Gen Pop in a way that he trained athletes so that they would see better results than the way that they were training. As Shredded Gen sports Pop. science. You know them. He's a knowledgeable dude, by a hacker said. Um, I think I might have scrolled past the videos before, yeah. but I've never watched them. And this is what I mean is there's no there's no one size fits all. You know, Athlean X for Andrew Robbins may communicate in a way that he's really receptive mm. to. You know, and um, and I would say that you need to find sources that you're willing to listen to. For me, Elite, the Elite FTS channel, the way that they communicate their information is it I find just really easy to absorb. I understand what's going on. And if I don't understand it or if I'm not like gelling with the person presenting that information, I'm not going to fucking listen. I'm not going to sit there for 20 minutes out of my life and listen to someone spout stuff that I don't care about. Mm. You know, it might be good information, but it's just not being presented in a way that I personally gel with. Do you and think people gel with us online? Well, the ones that stay <laughs> probably do. <laughs> I think we um, we relate a lot to veterans. So yeah. I think we get some veterans sticking around and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, with Shredded Sports Science, that's another example of someone who's probably presenting a very similar message because at the end of the day in the fitness industry, there's there's one good message and then there's about a million and one other not good messages, right? And the good message is that, you as an individual need to work hard and find what works for you and then keep doing that with consistency. You need a diet that is either a slight deficit if you want to lose weight or a slight surplus if you want to gain muscle or whatever it might be. Um, and that's pretty much it. There's no like, there's no extra tricks to it. And everybody who is trying to present that message is just trying to present it in a way that their followers or their people will I guess vibe with or As you know, respond to, yeah, <laughs> yeah respond top to en- top energy. Yeah. Than- so um, I think that one thing you do need to be aware of is that you need to consistently challenge your own personal bias. So if you are trying to learn something online, um, you know, I will go on and I will watch the Elite FTS videos because I know that they provide good information. I've, you know, I can vouch for what they've so I've seen at work and I've used it, and um, they have a lot of experience and they're a no bullshit kind of channel. Um, 
but then I don't only watch them because if all I did was watch them, I would only ever see their perspective. You know what I mean? So I, I also try and watch Juggernaut Training Systems because they they present similar information and they present really high quality information. Uh, they're from more of an Olympic lifting background. Um, I feel like if the guys from Juggernaut Training Systems and the guys from Elite FTS got in a room together, they would just beat each other to death, honestly. <laughs> I think that they would not agree on a single thing. <laughs> um, however, they both present really valid points and it, the things that they're not agree on uh, is the delivery. The information, it's the same. You know, They are helping people make progress in whatever sport it might be um, and they present very valid points for the industries that they are targeting. You know, Elite FTS was born of a geared powerlifting um, community and juggernaut training systems was born of an olympic lifting community these people are at odds like they don't like each other very much at all mm. um, but at the end of the day they are trying to provide you know valuable information to general population so that everyone can get a little bit better a little bit stronger um, so i try and watch things like that so that i'm not sitting here just going well, I agree with everything Dave Tate says and nothing that goes against Dave Tate, it makes any sense. It's all wrong. You know, yeah. I need to have another perspective. So I go, okay, this is the way that Dave Tate presents that information, but this is the way that Juggernaut Training Systems would present similar information. These are the kind of people it might work for. These are the people it might not work for, you know. So the secret to, I guess, continuous learning is to constantly ask yourself, um, you know, what are my biases and how can I challenge them with information that is also true, that is also valid, that is also valuable? Because you don't learn a lot of stuff and then you just stop. And you go, I know everything now. Mm. Done. Yeah. I know it all. <laughs> Especially about something like water slides. I finished the whole interview. <laughs> yeah, about water slides yeah. or whatever it might be. <laughs> you know, you learn a lot of things and the more you learn about one particular topic the more comfortable you can get in your sort of perspective about mm. it so at some point you need to go okay i need to find something that seriously challenges me and i need to ask me i need to ask myself why am i so challenged by this why does this really piss me off or why is it that the information that this person is presenting is just so at odds with what i believe and then if you can answer that question of why you can either figure out how to adapt your current knowledge to encompass more and be better or how to defend against an argument that might present information that is actually wrong. Mm. So I see we've got a few. Uh, yeah, um, Darren's on, probably listening to us on his drive home. G'day, so Darren. Good night, um, Andrew Robbins said, you guys will be big CrossFit channel watchers, lol. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I, got I, I got told I was old the other day for saying lol. Did you? Is, it already, yeah. is that already gone? Did, did Brooke say that yeah, to you? Brooke well, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> yeah. If you ask a child a question, <laughs> yeah. you're going to get a child's answer. Um, Biohacker said, yes, guys who focus and stick to providing information on skills and technique more than overall fitness are generally that hold varsity. Yeah. Are generally that hold? What's, is that a typo? Could be. I'm, I'm not entirely sure but what that means. Basically, I think he's saying the ones that focus on providing information on skills and technique are the, the ones to listen to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to go wrong with, well, I say that. <laughs> I've seen people do it wrong when you're just like, you know, this is how to squat and then you get about a million one different answers and for some reason they're all wrong. Um, 
But yeah, if you know, if you stick to the basics and you try not to, I think the mistake that people make with the fitness industry is trying to say that their one thing is better than everything else out there, mm. you know, and that seems to be what people want. The gen, gen pop just want the next big thing that's going to strip the weight off, pack the muscle on, and they don't have to worry about it. They don't even have to get off the fucking couch, mm-hmm. right? And those are called performance enhancing drugs, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so unless you're going to take those, you there is no solution. And even if you're on performance enhancing drugs, there's serious negative side effects. And if you fuck it up, you fuck for life and you can't, you know, you can't just not put in any kind of work and see some results, you know? Um, so even the miracle cure to fucking ban fat isn't even that much of a miracle cure at all, unless you're willing to live with the consequences. So, um, unfortunately, We've got a whole lot of people out there going, you know what, I've found it, I've figured it out, this is the solution, this is it. If you just do this, you'll be fit for it for the rest of your life. And people will buy into that and that's where it goes wrong because there's just no one solution. You know, it doesn't. Nothing works for literally every single person out there. It's not going to le- work all the time. The nature of the human body is that it adapts to stimulus over time. So something that works today might not work in two years. You know, so you have to be open to change and difference of opinion. Um, what else are we talking about? Well, it was a good, uh, it was a good intro. No. Yeah, uh, <laughs> rolling in. Seventeen-minute intro today. Well, I've posed a question to chat. Do you use overload training? Um, but we're just talking about overload training. Yeah, because I think Biohacker um, mentioned on Tuesday about using overloading to make yourself more comfortable with. Oh yeah, lower yeah. weights. But it was with kettlebells and the context was a little skewed. Yeah. So yeah. there I guess to explain what overload training is and this isn't what progressive overload is this is a specific type of training that is described as overload training, right? Um it is where you handle a weight higher than your 1RM so that your body becomes more comfortable with your one arm. If let's just call it that for now, very simply. Um, obviously, if you can use it and it's higher than your one arm, then maybe your one arm is not your one arm. Mm-hmm. But what I mean by that is, um, for example, if I was to um, set up a squat rack and I put elastic, like you know, training bands, elastic bands from the top of the rack over the bar. Um, so that when you unracked it, the bands took some of the tension, right? Um, you can load that bar up now with more than your raw squat weight because as the bar descends, the bands are getting tighter and it's going to take some of that weight off the bar, right? Um, what this allows you to do is overload the weight on the bar that you would normally be able to walk out with and then because when you go to squat with it, the weight at the bottom is not the same as the weight at the top. So you're using more weight than you could if you didn't have the bands on there. That is a version of overload training, right? Um, Another example might be on a bench press where you use a device called a slingshot or a recoil, which is basically an elastic band that goes around your elbows. Um, And it allows you to press more weight than you would be able to without it. Um, Overload training does not cover um, 
putting more weight on the bar or I guess the kettlebell or whatever it is, mm. and then trying to do the same movement that you can only do one rep with or whatever at a lower weight. Um, that is just dangerous and kind of dumb. Yeah, well, if it's more than your 1RM, wouldn't you just not be able to lift it? Well, <laughs> I think from, from memory what Biohacker said in that specific question that he asked or what he said was he was doing 28 kilo Turkish get-ups yeah. and he was saying that if he did 32 kilo and he said something um, kind of odd about the memory going yeah. in and then you, when you go to 28, your brain remembers. It feels easier. It feels easier. Mm. Okay, which is the principle of overload training, yeah. right, is that I'm not going to say it feels easier but if I can, if I practice walking out 300 kilos, which is a pretty extreme example, then when I walk out 200, it's going to feel different, mm. right? But I have to do that consistently. I have to walk that 300 out, let's say, at least once every six weeks, just as an example. Um, probably more often, but, I mean, we're sort of getting into training program specifics there. Um, the problem with this in a kettlebell situation is if I... So I, we have a kettlebell coach here. His name's Chris. He's been on the show before. Um, and I asked him specifically about this because he's a fucking expert in all things kettlebells. Isn't he? Um, what's the big thing he's working up to? He's Well, he's um, got to do... He's doing his strong first certification. Yeah, he's like already... Qualification. Yeah, he's already strong first level two kettlebell qualified. But the elite is having level two in like everything. Uh, okay. Yeah, so it's in the body weight, in the barbell, and like it just means that he will be one of maybe three yeah, i think there's two other elite <laughs> level coaches in australia so he'll be one of those three yeah i was just um getting across that he's um yeah knows what he's talking so about. he knows his <laughs> shit um anyway i asked him about that he said yeah i saw that comment um and he said one of the main principles of kettlebell training is that you have to own the kettlebell so not like buy it go out and buy it yeah but <laughs> yeah, i don't know but... i don't own a single kettlebell <laughs> yeah so you can't <laughs> do can't it it's an excellent marketing strategy yeah. <laughs> um yeah, so what that means is that you have to be perfect with 28 before you can move up to 32, right? Um, and there is a very good reason for that. Um, when it comes to kettlebells, you might be capable of using a 32 for, let's say you can do 10 Turkish get-ups with the 28. You can probably do five with the 32. That's just a sort of rough estimate or whatever. <laughs> Um, the problem is if your 10 with the 28 causes some kind of technical breakdown and then you want to go and use the 32, that technical breakdown is going to creep in much faster. Mm. And technical breakdown is what causes injury. It's what is going to prevent you from making further progress. Uh, it's going to shock your central nervous system to a point where you're going to find it harder to recover. So, and this is the risk of overload, of any overload training is... If you do it too much, say your normal routine is like I train kettlebells four times a week with the 28 and you're comfortable with that and then you start using the 30, 32 for like two of those sessions, your body's now taking longer to recover. So that technical breakdown that you're probably going to experience at some point, now there's the risk of injury that's creeping in more and more. So it's the reason we can overload with a barbell and bands or a recoil, stuff like that, is because we're using a tool that actually makes a portion of that lift easier. 
right? Um, yeah, imagine trying to attach bands to a kettlebell. <laughs> after something. Yeah. Imagine it would be like to the <laughs> ceiling and then your Turkish get up. It, and as you get close to the top of the get up, it's it's heavier. Heavier. it gets yeah. heavier. Chris, give it a try. Yeah. <laughs> Chris can test it out. Yeah. I don't know if we'll, let's, it, let's bring it bands work. into kettlebells. <laughs> we could be those guys. <laughs> the west side of kettlebell training. Just got to like choked off and swing in by the, yeah. by the elastic. Yeah. Band. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> really good Perfect. core and shoulder exercise. <laughs> It would probably do something. Yeah, I call it the David Break. Goliath exercise, and then you let it go. Oh, you put a like, hole in the wall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I like me. Yeah. I like the, the old and, hole in the wall. <laughs> and when we look at when we look at training, we have to look at it from a risk versus reward perspective. Just because you can do something does not mean that it is a good idea. So, I can walk downstairs, load up. 200 kilos on a bar and pull it off the fucking ground. No warm-up, nothing. I can do that. Oh, all right. Fucking big dog. <laughs> oh, oh, big dog in the house. Look at it, Ron. Yeah. Fucking check this guy out, right? But what value does it add? <laughs> Not only that, but it makes my friends make fun of me. <laughs> right? So on top of that, I have to ask myself, is it worth training with the 32 for a couple of weeks and then potentially getting an injury or training with the 28 forever and still making gains. And you're not going to train with the 28 forever. Eventually, you're going to be really good with the 28 to a point where you can confidently say, I can progress up and do all of my complexes with the 32. I'm at that level now. I'm strong enough and I, and I don't need to worry about the concept of overload. Um, the, the thing with kettlebells is... They're they're not super fucking heavy. Um, they're designed to be used in a way where the movements are a big part of the challenge. You know, whereas compared to say a barbell, most people can do a body weight squat in some form form or another. But most people can't put hundred and fifty kilos in a bar and squat it, mm. right? So compared to a kettlebell where not that many people can probably do a Turkish get-up, not even with the lightest kettlebell, you know, not properly, not with great technique, certainly not over and over again. I've never done one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they're I'm going to do It's weird to get used to them. Yeah, yeah. They're, and they're pretty complex movements, right? Just like not that many people could pick up a bar and do an Olympic lift straight mm. off the ground. You know, it's really hard to nail the technique of a snatch or a clean and jerk. And that's so that's where the kettlebell has come from. Um, kettlebells are rushes... Um, I guess, sport, mm. national sport. And they they use them to train Russians in physical, you know, kids up to adults in physical fitness. And then some of those people would go on and be Olympic athletes, you know, Olympic. And a lot of the movements are very, are very similar. You know, the swing has some very similar aspects to, you know, the clean and jerk or the snatch, you know, with hip drive and with the way you load the lats. Um, just like there are clean and presses in kettlebell sports, right? So these movements are not something that any amateur can just walk up and do properly. You know, you can give it a red hot crack, but you might hurt yourself, you know. You certainly can't do it with a 32 straight away. Mm. Whereas I could probably get most people to do a squat, you know. I just said, go on, do the squat. <laughs> They'd figure it out, you know, or sit in that chair. Yeah, there you around. go. Yeah. <laughs> so... Part of kettlebell sports is the movements themselves, whereas powerlifting, for example, 
the movements are not the challenge. The weight is the challenge. So when it comes to kettlebells, there's even more emphasis on mastery of the movement compared to powerlifting where the movement is a priority. We really want good technique. Um, but if you've got the best technique in the world and you're not making any progress with the weight, then you need to do something, you know, something else. So we're, you know, we do need to understand that overload training is a thing, but I probably wouldn't take it to kettlebells. Risk versus reward, it, where there's more risk, not really as much reward, when I could just keep doing the same thing and make progress. Otherwise, I guess the Russians would probably use it, right? Surely. I assume so. The Russians are pretty switched on when it yeah. comes to this stuff. Yeah, you know? if they haven't already put it into their sessions, yeah. <laughs> then after like hundreds of years of doing this stuff over <laughs> and over again and creating some of the most fucking freakish athletes in the world, they must have figured there's no value here unless old mate on the internet has discovered something that Russia has just ignored. Not. Well, China seems to love breaking people. Like, oh, yeah. Part well, of Russia the, does that. They well, yeah. Breaking. Well, China especially because they have so many people, literally. Mm. Um, they just churn all their young athletes through this really rigorous programs, like especially like Olympic lifting. Yeah. And if they break, they just replace them because yeah. they just have so many of them. If he does, he does. He does, he does. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And mm. that's just, yeah, that's like their method. They just like put them through this intense shit and they either become – a fucking yeah. medalist or like <laughs> yeah you know Olympic spend the rest, medalist or... yeah or spend the rest of their life on welfare yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> if, if russia has that and there is a reason for that i mean louis simmons writes about it in his books um and he talks about and i saw it somewhere else recently i can't remember where um about the drive for athletes from say third world countries or maybe lower socioeconomic areas to become professional athletes versus um, you know, maybe a lack of drive in uh, higher socioeconomic countries and areas. When, you know, education is a very clear route to success, you know, if I do the study, pass the tests, get the degree, get the good job, I'll make the money, right? I'll make enough money to provide for myself and potentially my family where I ideally won't have to worry about money or food ever again. In a lower socioeconomic country, that path is nowhere near as clear. You know, they the educational opportunities aren't as high, you know, whether it's a government thing or whatever, but there is a very clear correlation between sports and success. You know, they can see if they become an Olympic athlete, they're well taken care of. You know, if they become a professional football player in, is it FIFA? Is that the league? That yeah, the actual is it's not just it's a video not, game. Is, it, is that just the game? <laughs> Nathan? <laughs> um, let's go with FIFA. Yeah, let's go with FIFA. In fucking soccer, whatever. Um, or, you know, NFL. You look at the breakdown of the athletes and they're generally people that probably had more reason to be successful, you know, because if they were successful, they, you know, money wasn't an issue anymore. They could take their families out of whatever shithole they grew up in. You know, they they have this drive that, you know, say upper middle class people just don't have because, you know, it comes a point where an upper, upper middle class person is given the choice between be a professional athlete and not this doesn't come for every single upper middle class person. Obviously, that would <laughs> be <single>. wild. <laughs> but, you know, say you go to school, whatever, you're encouraged to do sport and you get pretty good at a sport. Um, and I guess this happened to me 
in the sense that I represented Australia and New Zealand in a sport, but then I got Which to sport? a point. <laughs> Fencing. <laughs> I've written about it in an article, I think. The world knows. Well, yeah. <laughs> in sword fighting. That's so, badass. Yeah. It's right? cool. Yeah, yeah, I didn't say anything. You just get really you. defensive about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big part of fencing. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have a really good defense yeah. and a really good attack. Yeah, well, you've got it. <laughs> anyway, I got to a point where it was like, do I keep doing this sport or do I focus on my um, studies, I guess? Do I focus on school? And I made the choice. I was like, oh, I want to focus on school. I'm worried I just won't get the grades I need to get into uni. And I was young. I was like, I don't know. 16 or something um and so i put fencing on the back burner and have basically never touched it since mm. but i had that choice i was able to say i can choose between a sport where i could be fairly successful if i keep working at it or i could follow the path of education get a good degree and be successful that way i had those oh. options if you don't have option two if you don't have the education route you're going to work your fucking ass off to be good at sports, right? It's I see it a lot in business as well. Um, immigrants are more likely to be successful because they just work fucking hard. Yeah. Whereas if you're like pretty comfortable um, with your life, mm. you kind of don't work as hard. Yeah, where's the and motivation? Like Gary B is from Soviet Russia, immigrant come over here. Yeah. And he said he just worked every second of his childhood to try and get out of that shit. Mm. And, um, Take that, Russia. They're probably, <laughs> probably listening right now. Yeah. Hey, guys. Um, we got a big one from Biohackery. I had to practice a few of these words. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he said, yes, totally. It's not worth compromising on the technique for just getting that lift. Only Russian elite athletes have kettlebells in increments of one kilo. When it comes to strong first or Pavel's style, it's yeah. hard style. So Chris basically implements biomechanical breathing whereas in kettlebell sports anatomical breathing is implemented thus resulting in different aspects of performance sports style targets more endurance than power right chris would be able to address that statement (laughs) much better than i ever could um but yes i mean the way i see strong first is um you know it's a system of training for everyone you know, anyone can mm. walk into a strong first gym and say, "I would like to. Not I would like to play with those." And um, and you know, not every place in the world is going to have kettlebell one kilo increments. They're not going to have the resources of the Russian government. They're going to have a new nuclear arsenal in the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> um, they they are going to. They need a system that works for any gym anywhere. And most gyms have. An eight kilo, twelve kilo, you know, up to probably a thirty-two, maybe thirty-six. You know, so they need a system that's going to work for those jumps, for those kettlebells, for as many people as possible. Um, and yeah, that's why it can't be as specific. You know, that's the same with most training systems. You know, <laughs> let's take um, a powerlifter, Jim Wendler, for example. He probably didn't train using 531, his program that he wrote, that much. You know, he may have used aspects of it for him specifically. He may have chopped and changed some stuff. But 531 was the program that he designed so that as many people as possible could use a barbell to get stronger. You know, so there has to be compromise there. The way I program for us here in this room, or even the way that I program, I would program for Dan and the way that I would program for Nathan is completely different. But if they both came to me and I'd never met them before and they said, hey, we both want to get stronger, we like barbells, I'd probably give them a 
not generic, but a fairly standard program until I could see what the weaknesses were, what the differences are, and then make adjustments from there. It's the same with Strong First. You need a system in place that people can start doing before you start to target smaller things, weaknesses, that sort of thing. Um, uh, this is a little bit off topic of today's topic, but we can answer it quick. Right. 91 Tay said... If given the opportunity, would you all go down the same army path again, knowing what you know now and what you experienced? Yes. Yes. Yeah. You sound like sure. Well, I haven't really like thought about it, but yeah, I don't think there's any other path I'd want to take in there. No, what I know now is <laughs> the sh- the uh, the sh- other shit parts of the army that I wouldn't want to like. When I joined, I, th- I think I was like everyone. I was like, fuck yeah, I want to go to SF. But once oh, I yeah. kind of experienced so it, yeah. once I kind of got in the army experience, it, I was like, oh, I'm fucking go effort. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, um, I got to like two or three years in. It probably was about two years in where I went, I really fucking hate walking around with all this <laughs> shit. You know? And I learned very quickly that for special forces, it's walking around with all that stuff, but lots more. You know, mm. They do even more walking than everyone else because they have but to be sneaky. But they get more money spent on them. Yeah, and then true. it gets glamorized. Yeah. And, then and you... I mean, that's a job that some people love. You know, I've got very good mates doing that job. Mm. Um, but for me, I, you know, I eventually through my military career was like, oh, well, my next step now that I've done everything that I want to do, I've accomplished the things I want to accomplish in infantry. My next step was to be a pilot. Army really fucked me on that. So <laughs> I decided to get out, get a degree, see where life took me. And now I work in the gym. Living the dream. <laughs> um, would you join, knowing what you know now, would you join infantry yes. again? Yeah. I, yeah. I, honestly, I know what I was like back then. Well, that's, that's <laughs> I think back to like 18 or 16 is when I first I wanted to join the army. I think back to those last couple teenage years. I'm like, imagine trying to convince myself any otherwise. Mm. Like any People other did. They try tried to. to yeah. They tried. They're like, oh, you should, get, you know, you should fucking go to Duntroon and shit. Yeah. And you should was, get a real job. Yeah. You should, yeah. You should be a real. <laughs> you should you go should, to university. Yeah. You should be an officer. And I was, I did. I was just like, I want to fucking do that. And yeah. I changed it back after like a few weeks of like listening to them. Um, um, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, because I went to the Pogue side of the world as well. I know that I definitely would not have wanted to start with Pogue. Well, if I wanted to not have any injuries and (laughs) mental health issues, I would start as a Pogue. There's no guarantee that stuff wouldn't happen. One shitty X or one shitty stomp or, you know, like the stuff that I know about training now and keeping my body, Mm. you know, sort of running. The shit I learned through infantry and that was, yeah, Yeah. awesome. And I mean, I got the injuries then. But you know, if I never got them, would I have learned? Would I have been as passionate now about training? You know, would I, if I hadn't joined infantry, would I even care about staying fit? You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I did like exercise when I was younger and growing up, but I don't think I was. I saw it as you know, I was, certainly wasn't as passionate about the kind of things that I do. And when I said I'm living the dream. That wasn't a joke either. Like, I fucking love working in a gym. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't sit here and talk about it for an hour, four days a week. You know, that's it's like one of my fa- and I when I'm not talking about it, I'm sitting on my computer watching fucking videos about it, or I'm in the gym training. So, um, yeah, I think if I wouldn't change a thing, like, and we probably wouldn't have yeah got to this position if we hadn't have gone through yeah. all that as well. So, yeah, I don't think it'd change anything. I'd be stuck in Sydney. I'd probably have COVID. 
What do, yeah, what, you'd be in a hospital bed struggling yeah, to breathe. Struggling to breathe. Yeah, I wonder what I would be lines. like. <laughs> I wonder what would have happened if I never joined the army because I'm from a small country town. Mm. It's like ice capital of Australia. Yeah. So ha- what would have fame. happened? Be proud, <laughs> be proud of that. Yeah. What would have happened to me if I didn't join the Because I've seen what happened to people that didn't leave that town. I still like. <laughs> Your I brother's still... still there and he's doing pretty well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Both, but, both brothers, right? Yeah. But yeah. Um, like some of the people I was friends with that never left True. and kind of got went down the bad path. Mm. <laughs> yeah, like it, I still got a bunch of people from high school I was mates with on like social media. Exact same. It could be 10 years ago. Yeah. You wouldn't know the fucking difference. They just look older. And, yeah. Yeah. It's like, and I mean, I come from a different area of the world, realistically, like the people that I grew up with were, you know, fairly well off. But I look back, same thing, social media. Mm. It's like nothing's changed. And I, nothing against them, most of them are pretty good people, but I honestly couldn't think of anything worse. Oh, fuck you know, that. To, yeah. to do the degree and to still be living in the same suburb and to be doing the same shit with the same people over and over again, you know, I'd, I mean, I'd go crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think I wouldn't change a thing. He did say something else, one more thing. I just said, yeah, uh, it was was off topic, uh, but good to hear. Yeah, no, I don't. Right. I don't think anyone should regret their service, um, or you know, joining. I and I feel like most people shouldn't regret most of the things they've done. Obviously, there are caveats to that statement, but um, no matter what the experience is, it's an opportunity to learn from it. You know, no matter how shit a time you have, like you know, you could completely fuck your back, or you come out of the army with one leg or whatever. It's an opportunity to learn and get better, and just be fucking better the next day you know it doesn't you know it doesn't have to be the end of the, your fucking life yeah it's only the extreme za- examples that i could would consider like yeah. you know yeah like is 91 to in the military or joining or something or we don't know in i'm pretty I sure he's in yeah he's I'm pretty sure, yeah he oh, a while ago, okay, yeah. i swear yeah yeah what about you 91 to would yeah. you yeah. change yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um while we're waiting for that we can go back to overload yeah training, maybe overload. address the more um I guess um, the times you actually would use it, mm. um, and it doesn't get used that often in linear programming or sort of the traditional programming styles. Um, you know, you might you might see people use a version of it without realizing, or you know, it could be described as ego lifting a lot of the time. I think, um, but. You know, in the in the program that we do, which is a conjugate style program, overload training has a big role. So, um, for example, one of the exercises we do to build our squat is a high box squat. Um, the high box means that the depth for the squat is about an inch above parallel. So, I guess the um, you know your your hip crease is about an inch higher than it would be to get white lighted on the in a competition. Um, what this allows us to do is to squat more weight on that day than we would be able to if we went to parallel, to slightly below parallel, or if we went ass to grass, right? Um, just because we train high box squats doesn't mean it's the only type of squat we train, right? Um, we also do a lot of squats without a box. So we use an SSB. We do, um, you know, sets with that at least once a week. Um, and then we do 
low box squats, which are about an inch below parallel, and then we do parallel box squats as well. So overload training is not something that you use just by itself, um, and it's also something that you have to be able to assess, um, you know, risk versus reward. What kind of gains am I going to see from this and what are the negatives? So the negatives to overload is uh, your central nervous system gets fucked up. Um, your central nervous system to an extent gets used to dealing with a certain amount of external load. Um, if you then use a method like high box squats, recoil bench, whatever it is, um, to lift more, you basically just completely fry it and you're looking at a recovery of more days than it normally would take. So you have to be aware that if you're going to do something like that, you're putting you're pushing your body to a point that it's not normally getting used to being pushed to. There's benefit to that. Uh, it then allows you to adapt. Um, for example, you know, if we can get more weight on our back for the squat, for the high box, more often, then when we unrack those, you know, for I guess Dan's example, he did 220 the other day, when he unracks the 200, it's not going to be as bad. Or if he's used to bracing hard for a 220 kilo squat, then when he braces for 200, he's going to do it extra hard so that the 200 feels lighter. You know, the weight's not any less. He's just doing things. He's treating the bar as if it weighs much more because he knows what it feels like for it to weigh much more. Um, the benefit doesn't come so much from the weight as how you like, I guess, how you view the weight. So like, um, if I know that I can bench 150 kilos and I unrack 100, I might not do everything perfectly because I know it's not close to my 1RM. But that's where the risk of injury can creep in. That's where technical breakdown go comes in. Um, however, if I learn to treat 100 like I do 150 or I can bench even more than that with a recoil and stuff, I learn what I need to do at all those weights to make those reps perfect. Um, you know, Dan, what's your bench with a recoil? Uh, 175, I think I got last time we did it. Yeah, and I think we're doing that on Wednesday next week, funnily okay, enough. Cool. So you have to beat that now, <laughs> and I'm going to tell everyone. Yeah, good. <laughs> um, yeah, so Dan's done, you've done a 150, which I'd, that's your competition bench press, but mm. I feel like you could do more now. That was a while ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, but having 175 in your hands, completely different to having i guess 100 or 150 yeah yeah it's um and it tends to be tends to be the most noticeable i think on the bench mm. because having it on your hands guillotine is fucking yeah. terrifying well yeah and it's the, it's not like because say with 100 you might you'll de-rack it and then from the point of it going down and back up that's where you might actually think about it yeah but with something like your max or your 110 percent during an overload yeah it's Everything from even just fucking sitting down on the bench, you're yeah. thinking about much, much more because, like, I really don't want to fuck this up. Or, yeah. Yeah. Because the consequences are much worse. Oh, much, much worse. Yeah. Yeah. So if you look at it from a powerlifting perspective, at some stage in a, in a competitive powerlifter's training journey, they're going to get up on stage and lift, ideally, more weight than they have ever lifted before in their life. If they... If they spend time in the gym using things like the recoil or the high box or deadlifting off blocks, as a good example, if they do those things in the gym, they 
they know that Dan knows he's had 175 in his hands before. He might have had the recoil helping him, but he held it in his hands. He got a successful rep. So if he gets up on stage and his jumps are like open at 150, next bench is 157, the final jump might be 165. All of those jumps, even though he doesn't have the recoil, they are all lighter than that 175 that he held and did a rep with. Mm. So all of those, as soon as he unracks it, he's not worried about the unrack part. He's not worried about holding it there because at some point he held more. You know, um, It's the same with unracking the squat. If on the high box or with the reverse bands like I was talking about before, if you can unrack 300 kilos but then your jumps with a raw squat in competition are like, I don't know, 220 230 240 for example none of those are ever going to feel like unracking 300 kilos mm. um you know if you can pull whatever off blocks being able to drag 270 kilos off the ground might be um might not feel nearly as bad as having 300 off the blocks um, so that's where you're not going to do it every single fucking week you're ideally not going to try and push yourself to these extreme limits of, you know, well past your 100% every week because you just frag yourself. You won't be able to recover properly. But if you do it every so often, like I said once, I mean, at the moment our overloads generally creep in once every five weeks. We do a high box squat, yeah, once every five weeks and a recoil bench once every five weeks. Um, That's enough for you to go, yeah, I know what it feels like to have more weight than my competition 1RM in my hands. Um, yeah, that's the benefit of overload training. Mm, yeah, I find all like with all the all the overload things, like you said, they're all variants. Yeah, which um allow which assist you in the movement, and they assist you through the the hardest part generally. Yeah. Like the recoil is helping you through to get to the triceps. Yeah, to get to the top of the lift. Um, high box squat is just you just don't have to go as low, which obviously the hardest part of the squat is the the hole. Yeah. So yeah, and there and you're still getting a lot of still a lot of benefit from doing them and going through the um like the parts of the movement that you're stronger in. Yeah. You're still getting putting a lot of work into those as well. Yeah, and I mean one of the so this stuff doesn't happen a lot in linear programming. In linear programming, you're spending most of your time just trying to make your competition squat, bench, and deadlift a little bit better. Right. There's not a lot of room for, hey, this week I'm just going to fucking throw on a recoil and, and do it because it, it's away from the program. It's, the results aren't nearly as measurable. Um, it just doesn't fit the structure nearly as well. Um, it's You can't really trace the, I guess, um, you know, you can't trace how relevant a recoil bench will be to just practicing your competition bench. Um, for conjugate, you're given the opportunity to really work your weaknesses. Um, so like Dan was saying, you know, if we use a recoil to target the triceps, which it does, um, you can then build the triceps until they are no longer a weakness and then you change that exercise out for something else. Um, it's the same with the high box squat. Just because you are able to lift more doesn't make that lift any fucking easier. Mm. You're working the lockout, which you need to have a really fucking strong lockout. Otherwise, you might tip over in the squat. One of the um, one of the best things that's come out of high box squats for Dan is the ability to keep his chest up on the way back up. He doesn't mm. have a lot of problems in the hole, but about halfway up, his chest starts to come forward and doing a um, doing a high box squat, that's we're just targeting that portion of the movement and we can put more weight on for him to then practice keeping the chest up so that he doesn't tip forward as much or if he starts to tip, he learns how to control it. 
Um, that's another thing with, uh, I guess, deadlifts is a good example. People would assume that the higher the pins are set for a rack pull, the easier the lift gets, so the more weight you can lift. But, you know, my weakness in um, the sumo deadlift is my lockout. I can usually get it to my knees and generally I can get it a little bit further past my knees. But then locking it out is an absolute fucking Yeah, bitch. again, your hips through. I um, just can't get it. I can't do it. Um, so I can set the pins at just below knee height and just practice my lockout. And then I know if I can lock out that weight, I can most likely pull it off the floor. Yeah. Even getting the setup right for things like that. Cause you think you could just kind of grip and rip. Yeah. A, <laughs> it's like that. But I remember one, once we were doing, yeah, heavy rack pulls and I put a lot of effort trying to get it up just below my knees. And you just said, like, and I fail it. And you just said to me, you pretty much spent all that energy just getting into the right position because yeah. like, it shifted a little bit. You dragged it backwards. Yeah, I dragged it backwards. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you know, if you'd done it right, you probably would have got it up. Yeah. But instead, you put all that energy just getting to the right spot. Yeah. Um, and that's like, we use other lifts that, you know, that's why numbers aren't nearly as important in conjugate training um, because the number generally just tells you something. It doesn't. It doesn't say this is how much you could lift on competition day. Not always. Um, usually that number just says this is where you're fucking weak and what you need to work on. So like we did floor press uh, a couple of days ago and the floor press is just, you know, giving me no end of fucking frustration right now because that particular lift highlights my tricep weakness. Um, I When I bench press, I use as much momentum out of the bottom of the lift off my lats to push through my sticking point so that I don't have to have as strong triceps. With the floor press, I just can't fucking do it. Mm. So I... No bouncing off the, yeah, the wood floor. Can't do it. <laughs> can't use my legs. It's just a nightmare. So I learn from that and I say, okay, I need to integrate more floor press because this is clearly a lift that highlights where I am weak. If I can build that and turn that into a strength, then my competition bench press is only going to go up because I still have the ability to gain momentum off my chest. Like my lats aren't getting any weaker during this time, but my triceps are getting stronger. So those points where I don't have enough momentum to get through that sticking point, my tries have now been built up to push through. So that's what you learn when you program with conjugate, when you do variations of lifts that you might not necessarily get as much from programming linear or block. Are we in the Um, stretch now? I think, yeah, we're in the stretch. Just from before, 91 Taste said he left the NZ Army two years ago. Ah, right. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it was like three for us. Yeah. Yep. Uh, me? I was only like, what, eight, eight months, months now? Yeah, you're like a, <laughs> a pup to the world. You know? uh, and, uh, Pickle's been on the whole time. Uh, he uh, and he said he's Dan holding a butt plug. Yeah. It's a I stamp. Am, yeah. <laughs> it's a stamp. Yes. It's a stamp. Yeah, I use this to stamp really important letters before I send them out. Um, yeah, we have wax here that we use. Yeah, butt wax. Butt <laughs> yep, butt yep. wax. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, um, yeah this is uh, my butt, my squat plug. It says Dan squat plug Dan, on it. Dan's yeah. a farty, farty boy. It's to uh, put in my butthole when I'm squatting <laughs> so way. I don't. Yeah, keep the air inside. Keep though. the air inside. You know, so as, as tight as possible, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, just toot it all out. <laughs> Although I, I don't know if I can stand here, put my stamp of approval on using a butt plug while squatting. Yeah, I do wonder. not recommend. You might shoot it across yeah. the gym. I've even imagined that. See, it just goes ding to the floor and like. Fly we can try off. it with you. Yeah. Do I have to squat with no like no underwear on or no shorts on? Just I think safety's sake, you leave them on. 
so that if you do plug. if you do shoot it, you know, shoot it's like, it an, eye, it's like an eye hazard. Underwear yeah. is just the uh, butt plug catcher. <laughs> yeah, it's like a <laughs> thing of it as a net. Yeah, <laughs> or if I literally wear a net, well, like I mean, or like, we get nails. You get like right. actual like a pool. You know, those like pool cleaner. Oh nets. yeah, <laughs> like from a, a lacrosse. Yeah, a lacrosse stick. <laughs> but a pool one because how long it is, so it's a bit safer. Right. So you can like from across the other side of the gym, just like put it under me while I'm squatting, and then if it shoots out, then it'll catch it. It's the perfect idea. It's a perfect idea. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll just squat naked. And then we'll put it on um, like our OnlyFans. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, it's, <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> Pickle said, I can't tell if you're joking or not. We're very, I oh, sorry, you're American. You can't tell sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, we're not serious. Yeah. yeah. Um, real quick, Biohacker said, do you guys take any cold shells for recovery? What are some of your recovery hacks? Sleep. Sleep. Sleep, man. <laughs> Sleep and food. Yeah, Sleep and I food. don't do cold showers. Um, I do sometimes cold showers for my skin. <laughs> oh, Which yeah, is great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cold water immersion. We can talk about recovery. You have like three tomorrow. minutes. Yeah. Uh, but just very quickly, cold, cold water immersion or using cold to, tr uh, to I guess, increase recovery has been proven that it's, it actually doesn't help. Um, when you, the body's way of recovering is to heat an area up, flood it with blood and nutrients, and then that way it can recover. When you use, say, ice on inflammation, or you have a, a cold shower directly after training as part of your recovery or something like that, uh, it can actually increase recovery times. Um, there are definitely studies on it. Just Google cold water immersion or ice baths and you know, they what about that stuff the salts you put in the bath? Magnesium salts. Yeah. Yeah, magnesium is great from it's a muscle relaxant uh, and yeah, it's yeah, that's but the bath would be warm. Ah, uh, warm bath. <laughs> yeah, warm no, I'm yeah. a way bigger fan of hot water. Um but yeah, the the only hacks to recovery are lots of sleep and food. a balanced diet. <laughs> yeah. Um because that's what's going on. Yeah, all performance. Yeah. Um, those are the two most important things. Uh, the things that tend to inhibit recovery are things like cortisol, which is your body produces it when it gets stressed. So if you add stress to recovery, then that cortisol is actually making your recovery take longer. We don't have much time, but he uh, said, what about Cold immersion for accelerating fat loss. I've read some studies on those, but um, we're down to like two and a half minutes. Yeah, we might talk about we can that stuff tomorrow. tomorrow. Dude, it's like um, I would be curious to know is that the the body is using more energy to try and heat itself up. Yes, that, that's that's the basis yeah. of it. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I would say that it exists. You know, the that increase in energy is very real, but is it significant enough and are the effects that it's having on your ability to recover and your muscles to repair, are they counter, you know, counterproductive? Counter, yeah. So, yeah, you might be getting an increased amount of energy to keep yourself warm, but you're also inhibiting your muscles from being able to repair, which, I mean, if your muscles can't repair, then you can't perform as well in the gym, you might get an injury, then you can't train for ages, and then you get fat. So... <laughs> It's, and dead. Yeah, everyone's dead. Everyone's yeah. dead. So yeah. you have to weigh it up. But anyway, yeah. we'll talk about that tomorrow. Cool.
Um, yeah, so thanks, everyone. Thanks, Bye, for the questions. Everyone else that's joined in today. Appreciate all of it. Thanks for everyone that's watched. Watch us later. Um, thank you. We'll be back tomorrow for Tropical Shirt Fridays. Yeah. Yeah, 5 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Um, I guess we talk about recovery tomorrow then. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll yeah, like recovery tomorrow. Biohacker gives us a new topic every year. Uh, yeah, we don't have time. He's doing my job for me. Yeah, it's great. You can leave now. Yeah, Ryan, do you want to move to uh, Australia? We've got a virtual assistant. Virtual assistant, yeah. Um, yeah, otherwise, if you want to check out our podcast, we are on Spotify and Apple Music. It's called The Hardware Anvil TD Podcast. And we're also on YouTube. It's just Anvil Training Development. Uh, we've got all the live at fives. We've also got a bunch of pod- podcast episodes about articles that Marshall and I have written. We've also got an episode about what Anvil is and who we are. So if you check those out, awesome. Um, otherwise, we'll be back tomorrow, 5 p.m. Australian Standard Time. See you then. Boy. Boy. No. Boy. Boy. Boy, everyone. A boy. Go.